listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. I think we're seeing some a level of performance from Zion that really speaks well to being one of the five most important players in the league before too long. And they beat the best team so far in the NBA. Let's start there. Yeah, and Zion Williamson still just 20 years old, but the New Orleans Pelicans star gets a 129-124 win over the Utah Jazz last night. The the stat line for Zion Williamson, 26 points, 10 boards, 5 assists, as he continues to get better and better seemingly every single game. Okay, so Zion played Milwaukee and now Utah. And you could make the case that's two of the very best, if not the two best, but right there, centers, rim defenders in the NBA. If you haven't watched a bunch of Zion, or if you haven't noticed it, Zion is about explosion to the hoop. So he's not a great outside shooter. He's, you know, It's really about getting to the rim. And a lot of people have talked about Barkley back in the day, and I see some of that against Gobert for Utah and against the Greek freak Giannis from Milwaukee, I was pessimistic. I thought those were two of the matchups that would be problematic for Zion. Now, let's keep in mind the two games he had played against Milwaukee in his career, he was about 21 points a game, well below his uh, career average, season averages. And that told us, okay, that rim protection with a guy that doesn't shoot well from the outside, it's effective. It wasn't effective this time. And then Gobert wasn't effective. So at this point, if Zion is limited, we'll say, in just his ability to go to the hoop, but the best hoop defenders can't stop him, that means he's not limited at all. He can do what he wants seemingly every game. And about a month ago, early February, the Pelicans started doing a lot of pick and roll where Zion specifically was the point forward, point Zion as they're calling it now. The Ringer website had a good um, video breakdown on this. And it's a situation where the guys guarding Zion are not used to getting picked especially out high, and thus they're not particularly adroit at avoiding the picks. And Zion only needs a little bit of a brush, and there's no way they're stopping him. So not only has Zion had a good season, though the Pelicans' defense hasn't, I think the last month has shown another facet to his game. And I believe the culmination of that is two really good games against two of the best defenders. I could not, on the offensive side of the ball, be more optimistic than I am right now on Zion. Jonas, what's your thoughts? I just love the fact that he does it old-fashioned. It's it's not this stand behind and shoot a bunch of threes. It's He hardly takes threes at all. He takes the ball. He gets to the basket, tries to draw contact, or just scores. And, and just the idea that that can still work in the NBA, I think, is a good thing for the NBA. We talked about it after the Super Bowl, where seeing Tampa Bay go out there and win with physicality and win the way that they did was a good thing for the NFL. Otherwise, it was just going to turn into this offense offensive league that would have been the opinion uh, Kansas City is just going to run away with it every year because they have all the weapons on offense to see a different style have an effect like Zion style having an effect close to the basket I think is a great thing for the game that's Jonas Knox I'm RJ Bell we are straight out of Vegas I think you make a really good point but I think it's predictable 
not just with Zion, but let's go back to Golden State for a moment and think about when they came on the scene, won the first title, then they had the uh, 73 wins, etc. Is they were so good partially because they were innovative on offense, but what did that innovation lead to? It led to them getting their pick of players that fit the system that only they ran. And then the opponents would only see that system and that uh, lineup of death, specifically when they played Golden State. As the years passed, more and more teams started playing a similar style. So not only were the players well-suited for that style spread around more, but additionally, every team saw it more often. And that's part of the drop-off with Golden State. Even when they had Durant to some degree, there was a drop-off. Again, that the defense is just being familiar with it. I think it's an economic issue, Jonas, in that the guys that play well in the old-school schemes in the NBA are not as desirable to a lot of teams. Thus, economically, they're going to be more available for a team like New Orleans. So I think in general, there's a a zig and a zag, a yin and a yang when there's these evolutions in the schemes. And I would make the case, and I'm just going by what I've read this NFL offseason, but obviously, and you said it very appropriately, Tampa, uh, you know, an old school team, but actually, you look at it in Belichick. Now, again, maybe that was because of Cam and his limitations were very physical. And you're seeing more more fullbacks now because the theory is if they're going to have a bunch of 240-pound linebackers that can run really fast, well, maybe they aren't as good if they're getting muscled. So the thing I love about sports is it, it doesn't stay the same, right? If it was, yeah. and, and we iterate in this 2021 in the modern era so much quicker it used to be 10-year cycles in the 70s and the 80s west coast offense now these cycles are like three years and to me that's that's particularly exciting yeah, well, they talk about it um, when it comes to PED use in sports. They'll say, you know, you can test all you want, but somebody somewhere has got the next way to cheat and, and cover up and pass a test or the next way to. It's like in sports, you can come up with the greatest scheme, the greatest offense, defense, whatever the case may be. And somebody somewhere is figuring out a way to beat that. And then you have to react. And it just continues to go on and on. And that's why, look, the Wildcat offense was really popular for a couple of years in the NFL and then somebody figured it out. You've seen this in sports over, over you know, since I've been watching sports um, all these years and so to see this start to take effect I think is a lot of fun for the game. And I agree and I've, I've been, you know, fortunate enough, just, you know, some over the years, uh, a couple of my good buddies are uh, college coaches in, in football, and I've gone to a few camps and stuff, and it's funny with the guys that are really the uh, scholarship guy, not scholarship, but academic, where they studied everything from the past, they'll be like, yeah, you know, the Wildcat was really a single wing with this tight end, blah, 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 and it's like, it really is oftentimes a, rep- a variation on a theme from yeah. something from the 50s or the 60s. And and it's funny, if you go back through the NFL 
uh, record book. Yeah, there were a lot of low-scoring years back then, but there were a lot of years. I think the most yards in a game is still Norm Van Brocklin, I think. Like 505. <laughs> check that, Mackenzie. I think that that's that's classic research right there. But, um, you know, so there, there certainly were the years they threw a lot, even though it seems like we just kept throwing more and more. And that was back when the, uh, the uh, uprights were at the goal line, not 10 yards back. So not only did the receiver have to worry about getting hit by the safety. You had to worry about running into the goalpost. Well, uh, because I, it was so I, I'm thinking if I'm, if I'm a defender, I'm worried about running into the goalpost <laughs> That's true. more. Yeah, That's I'm RJ Power straight out of Vegas. Let's do this. Let's take a early break. When we come back, I'm not sure Zion. Well, first though, did we get that stat there, McKenzie? Huh? He must not be connected with us. Um, we'll get that when we come. So we got a double tease here. One is we've got the most passing yards in NFL history stat, which, we, you know, if you're driving, we'll help you with that. But, but number two, I'm not sure Zion, in fact, I don't think Zion had the best night in the NBA. And this is a guy that maybe should be in the MVP conversation, but he isn't. Right out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's me, three-time Pro Bowler LeVar Arrington, and I couldn't be more excited to announce a new podcast called Up On Game. What is Up On Game, you ask? Along with my fellow Pro Bowler, TJ Hushmanzada, and Super Bowl champion, yep, that's right, Plexico Burris. You can only name a show with that type of talent on it, Up On Game. We're going to be sharing our real-life experiences loaded with teachable moments. Listen to Up On Game with me, LeVar Arrington, TJ Hushmanzada, and Plexico Burris on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. If I asked you, Jonas, and I said, pretty please, when I'm done with the Harden, would you give a Norm Van Brocklin? Um, he, it was actually 554 yards, but would you do it like it just happened and say, this just in, 554 yards from, you know, you, you want to yeah, do I that? Yeah, I can make that happen. I can All make right, that awesome. Yeah. All right, see? I mean, every five minutes or something interesting <laughs> happening right here. James Harden should be what well, would be in the MVP conversation, if not at the top of the heap, if it weren't for the beginning of the season with Houston. And to be candid, I'm kind of known as a, oh, he's tough on the players. Maybe, maybe. I don't know if it's tough, you know, but I want him to, like, play hard. I want him to uh, honor their contract. But, you know, again, I get it that there's a lot of reasons historically that they're aggrieved, right? And I just, I think at some point it's got to even up and then we got to start kind of living by the deals. But that's another conversation. But with Harden, he is so amazing with Brooklyn. I almost want to forget about his tank job or whatever you want to call it in Houston. I can't, but boy, I want to. Because you look at his stats since he went to Brooklyn. 25 points a game, okay. That's down significantly, right? He was last year 34 points a game, 11 assists, 11.3 assists. The last year he had seven plus, seven and a half, but still that's a big jump. 8.3 rebounds. Last year it was 6.6. 
So 25, 11, and 8. He's a smidge away from a triple-double, like averaging that, that holy grail. Westbrook won the MVP off of that. Now, you look at his shooting percentage, 49%. Three-point percentage, Harden, 42%. Free throw, 86 So the holy grail there is 50, 40, 90. So 50% from the field, oh my gosh, making half his shots. 40 from three, oh, that's amazing. And then 90 from the line, Larry Bird style, he's a smidge away from that. So to me, we knew Harden was good. But we knew he was good in a single system that was that was uh, catered to him. I mean, they brought people in specifically to help time after time. And then if he soured on them after a year, they were gone. Chris Paul, bye-bye. We don't like it you anymore because Harden doesn't. Here he was the outsider coming into Brooklyn. And I got to tell you, Jonas, we'll go through some of these other Brooklyn numbers. But because... Again, I think they probably should be favored to win the title. But And what's really amazing is they've only had uh, six games with all of the big three. But what's your take on Harden and his integration and his willingness to kind of be a team guy? What's your take? Well, I think it was either going to come down to him or Kyrie that was going to handle the ball and play point. And they recognize, and whoever made the decision, you know, Kyrie Irving says, you know, it was me who made the decision, whatever. They were better served with Harden because Harden's a better point guard than Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving, with the ball in his hands, is going to try and make plays to get himself baskets, which is fine if you need to give Harden a rest and you still need the points on the floor. But Harden has shown the ability throughout the course of his career that that he does pass the ball, that he does make the right decisions. It's not like this is new to him having to play with stars before. He's played with great players before, whether it's Westbrook and Durant and Chris Paul and others. So I I think that was really where everything switched. That's really the best decision they made was trusting him as the decision maker on that offense and let Kyrie play off the ball and, and still generate his points and get his baskets when needed. That's Jonas Knox. I'm RJ Bo. We're straight out of Vegas. All right, so Jonas, I agree if this were a uh, video game, if this was NBA 2K something. I'm a tech mobile guy, but I I would agree with you schematically. It made sense. and But did you have no doubt about the egos? Did you think it was a foregone conclusion that they wouldn't be fighting over the ball? That they wouldn't? And I'm not saying they're going to be having a fist fight on the court, but we know NBA stars can be pretty much prima donna sometimes. And when you got three of them, and let's not forget, Durant left Golden State. It seems, at least from reporting, he wanted his own team. And if it, was, it seems like that n- none of the big three yet have had the beginnings of a conflict and to me that is the story yeah that's and that is a surprise and i think i think there would have been a conflict if kyrie irving was running point because i don't know that he would have been able to get the other guys as involved as harden is able to do and so because of that it feels like everybody's happy right now now whether or not this this stays the course and i mean we've seen kyrie irving have stretches where he's all about the team and he's having fun and all that and then something happens and he sort of does his own thing so if this just stays the course i don't know who beats them in the eastern conference like I'm, i i don't yeah. I, I just i think it's i think it's a wrap but again as you point out you 
you've got the egos. They could flare up at any time. You just never know when some, some, somebody's going to push somebody's button, and then that's really where we wait to see what happens moving forward. I think that you're right, obviously, about OKC and how back then there were some stars there or big stars and Harden was a sixth man. And to me, that's kind of the point, right? He was the last guy drafted. He was the sixth man, led that the second unit, and he was subordinate to the higher drafted and older players, Durant and Westbrook. And then he became maybe the most coddled superstar in the NBA, where maybe coddled's not the right word, but the, the teams were tailored. You know, Daryl Morey tailored, tailored those Rockets teams to Harden. And yeah, CP3 was there until Harden didn't want him there. Then he was gone. So he was the boss. There was other big names, big stars, yeah, but he was the boss. And if you weren't the boss when you were a kid or you were real young, that's one thing. But then you got, what, 10 years almost, eight years where he's the boss to then go somewhere else and seemingly do it with no friction, I'm impressed and I'm surprised. And I think these stats are going to scare the rest of the NBA because it's one thing to say, okay, you know, he's been there and they're 23 and 13. And that's what Brooklyn is. That's a good record. But check out this split. This is scary. Against winning teams. So winning record at the time they play, 12 and 2 straight up. The Brooklyn Nets, 10 and 4 against the spread. Winning the game by over seven per game, seven points per game. Against non-winning teams, 11 and 11. So 500 against losing teams, effectively. And 12 and two Brooklyn against winning teams. What does that tell us? It tells us it's a question of motivation. The losing teams are worse. So they're not going to be losing against them unless they're not trying. You might say, RJ, they're supposed to try every game. Okay, I agree. But if they try when they play winning teams, who are they going to be playing in the playoffs? I mean, imagine a team being 12-2 and two against winning teams, and then you add in the following. They've only had six games out of the 26 with the big three intact playing. And they lost the first one, and they're 5-0 and oh straight up, Brooklyn is, with Harden, Durant, and Irving on the court. So they got a great record against winning teams. They got a great record with the big three on the court. And we haven't really seen only about half their games against winning teams. And only six of their games have been with the big three. And if you actually go in and take a gander at the offense and defense, it shows you its effort again with the non-winning losing teams. Because they're actually giving up three more points per game on defense than Vegas expected. And when they play winning teams, they give up two points less. So there's about a five-point defensive swing when they play. A, and again, these are better teams, so they're supposed to score more points. Brooklyn can play decent defense, maybe league average, especially with Durant back because he's a real good defender, especially against the small fives. When Durant's back, if they're all healthy, I don't even think Jonas were getting a full flavor of how good Brooklyn can be. And... If you told me every team was going to be healthy, and obviously this isn't the case, but if every team's going to be healthy through the finals, I take Brooklyn and I don't even blink. 
Yeah, I, I would too at this point. Uh, and, and not a bad first gig for Steve Nash, huh? I mean, uh, to end up with this trio, it's not, not, a bad, uh, not a bad working environment for him when it comes to finding wins and having talent on the floor. No doubt. And, but again, it's one of those things. It's almost like, not like Phil Jackson, but it's a special talent to handle those egos. Yeah. And we'll be talking about here in a little bit, about 20 minutes or so, a little less, that Boston – you you got uh, Stevens is uh you know so I you know I heard a lot of things a year and a half ago. Well, I used to think Popovich, but you know, and it's like now it's Stevens. It's like okay, maybe with an under or a uh, team without superstars. But how did he do with Irving? Not very well. But not very many people have done well with Irving. But now it doesn't seem like he's doing too well with the you know the Tatum and Brown evolving into superstars. And I'm not saying I would get rid of Stevens. I'm saying that it's a question and it's a special skill to uh, coach. The superstars, are quite frankly, are more valuable than any coach. That you know, uh, what team? If, if it came down to it, what team is going to let their coach stay and let Durant or you know even Irving leave? No, no. It's, the players are always going to get, you know, going to get picked over the coaches every time. And you think about it, how hard is it to coach if you don't really have authority? Effectively, you are subordinate to the superstar. It's yeah. kind, it's got to be tough. Yeah, no, uh, it's not not ideal for, for. I think a lot of coaches uh, probably wears them out a little bit at night. <laughs> right out of Vegas. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. 